Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. another stand. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. This week, we're continuing our conversations with candidates running for governor and lieutenant governor in this month's primary. We're trying to get through as many candidates as we can so you know a little more about who you'll be voting for. So we're taking a break from our panel and the week's news to work our way down the ballot before the election. Another reminder that the big day is scheduled for June 28th. But first, the four Republicans running for governor held their first debate before the primary this week. It was the first time all four were in the same place at the same time since the state Republican convention in February. And each of them had a chance to weigh in on some of New York's top issues. A quick look at the debate. It's been 20 years since a Republican won a statewide election in New York, but the party sees this year as their best chance since in the race for governor. The four Republicans running to be their party's nominee in that race faced off in a debate this week ahead of this month's primary. Those are Congressman Lee Zeldin, Andrew Giuliani, businessman Harry Wilson, and former Westchester County Executive Rob Astorino. Zeldin is considered the party's favorite. He was voted as the designated nominee at the state Republican convention four months ago. Democrats have since tried to make abortion a key issue in this year's election. Abortion is allowed in New York after the second trimester, if the fetus is no longer viable or if the health of the mother is at risk. And when asked, Zeldin said that goes too far. I don't believe that should be legal as it is right now. I don't believe that non-doctors should be performing abortion in this state. I believe it should be legal for there to be parental consent, that there should be informed consent. I believe that we should be doing more to promote adoption. And what I found, even though I'm pro-life, is that a lot of people who consider themselves to be pro-choice agree with me. Andrew Giuliani has a leg up through name recognition. He's the son of former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani and worked in the White House under President Donald Trump. And when asked what he would do about the rise in crime in New York City, the younger Giuliani invoked his father's previous policies. Are you saying we should go back to the programs that your father instituted, broken windows and stop question and frisk? Yes, I am, Marsha, clearly. And I look at it this way. When you look at when stop question and frisk in the late 90s, when we were between 70 and 100,000 stops a year, it's when the quota system came in in the 2010s, when we were stopping 700,000 people a year. Your time is up, it Mr. might have gotten out of control. For Rob Astorino, the former Westchester County executive, it's his second run for governor. He was the party's nominee in 2014 and came closer to winning than any other Republican since George Pataki was governor. And he was the only candidate to condemn the invasion of the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, and say former President Trump bore some of the responsibility. Well, look, January 6th was a horrible day in our nation's history. It was horrible to watch, and it's a stain on our country. I do think he bears some responsibility. I think most people would say that, look, we've got to move on, though. I mean, these hearings right now are complete and utter political theater in Washington, D.C. It's also businessman Harry Wilson's second time running statewide. He ran for state controller in 2010 and lost that race by just four points. This year, Wilson is running for governor on a plan to lower costs for New Yorkers. And he gave a preview of that plan at the debate. We will cut 20% of income taxes and property taxes for every person in the state. 
We will repeal all the regulations that drive up the cost of food, energy, and housing. And combined, out. Mr. Estrino went way over. Uh, combined, <laughs> those things will be $3,000 to $5,000 a year in the pockets of middle-class families. A total game-changer. The four Republicans will be on the ballot later this month for the primary election. That will set the stage for this year's general election. That's scheduled for November 8th. And the three Democrats running for governor held another debate Thursday night. We'll link to that on our website. That's at nynow.org. But staying with the Republicans now, last week we spoke with Andrew Giuliani about his campaign. A few weeks ago we spoke with Harry Wilson and we had Lee Zeldin on in April. This week we sit down with former Westchester County Executive Rob Astorino about his campaign for governor and major concerns for New Yorkers ahead of the primary. Rob, thank you so much for being here again. I appreciate it. Good to be here. I appreciate it. Of course. So it's been a few months since we've talked. I want to see where you are with voters. So you've been on the campaign trail, going yeah. around the state. What are people telling you as you talk to them when you sit down with them? Really what I'm hearing everywhere is, oh my God, please help us. It's like crazy right now. It's chaotic. Crime is, is rampant. And it's not just in the cities. It clearly is in the violent crime. But you go to any village or town in, in suburbia or rural New York, auto thefts, drug use, um, all the, the nuisance stuff, burglaries, that counts too. And that means your quality of life is not where it should be. And then of course you throw in, my God, I just maxed out my credit card to fill up my car and I can't afford anything. And that box of cereal that used to be this big for like $2.99 is now this big for $5.99. And it really affects people. And I really think that this is going to be the revenge of the normal people in November. <laughs> really, I, I just, the average person that I talk to are like, I can't take it anymore. And I, I might leave New York if I can, but right now I'm stuck here, which is horrible because who wants, I love New York and most people want to stay here. Yeah. But they feel like they're being chased out or they're not safe or the schools are failing them or they just can't afford it anymore. Those can be corrected. So as I tell people, help is on the way. <laughs> yeah, you know, gasoline prices are crazy. It, it cost was, me $111 to fill up my Chevy Traverse the other day. Yeah, exactly. With my car, I used to fill up around $30. Now it's closer to $40. Yeah, I have a relatively small gas Put it in neutral going downhill. I do actually <laughs> now do that. <laughs> but that's a big problem that New Yorkers yeah. are facing in terms of gasoline. But yeah. the, the cost of everything has gone up. As you said, inflation is terrible right now. People are really struggling. So if you're elected governor, what would you do about that? What steps can we take to get some relief to people who just can't get by right now? Well, I'll do what I did as Westchester County Executive, and that is a very blue county. People gave me no chance of winning in 2009. Here I am, a Republican, like, you can't win Westchester. <laughs> and I went everywhere. I went in every community. And my message was the same. Taxes are out of control. We're losing our quality of life. People, and remember the time too, is 08, 09, so we had the collapse right, of right the banking the industry, recession, and similar times where just the economy was not good. And I would have a lot of Democrats come up to me and they'd be like, looking both ways, I'm voting for you. <laughs> and they did. And I won, and I won big, and I, and I won re-election. So we attacked the budget. We wanted accountability. We weren't just gonna spend money that wasn't ours just to spend it. So for all eight years, the budget was $1.8 billion. Now, you can't find that kind of fiscal conservatism 
anywhere in New York. Right, property taxes go up everywhere. They do, but not in Westchester. Right. We actually cut the property tax, uh, never raised them once, because we controlled spending. And we prioritize, and that has to be done in New York. The budget went from what, 178 billion to 220 billion in two years. Yeah. You don't think those bills are coming due? Of course they are, because when the federal money goes away, what do you think the state senate and the assembly and the governor are going to say? Well, I mean, we can't cut anything, so we need more money. We've had an enormous amount of people leave New York. It's 21 billion dollars, I think it was, in, in capital that left New York last year the number one state for out-migration. And you can attack the wealthy or people who have some money all you want, but they will go and they have gone. And who gets left with the bag? Holding the bag is the middle class, okay? And taxes are gonna continue to go up. So I think we've gotta make it business friendly. And we did that in Westchester. We work with big businesses and small on real nuisance regulations that you know kept them from growing or staying. We also cut taxes. And so on the state level, we've got to drop income taxes, I think corporate taxes, and the dreaded estate tax. Mm -hmm. You have a farm in New York that you want to pass on to your family member or a son or a daughter or a small business. You're wiped out. You can't afford the taxes. How, how crazy is that? So there's a lot of things we can do, a lot of things I'm going to do. And I did it in Westchester. And I had a Democratic county board the entire time, just like most likely. I'll have a Democratic legislature. Uh, and by the way, Andrea Stewart-Cousins and I have known each other forever. We served together in the county board in Westchester. And you know, I think we can sit down as reasonable adults and try to figure things out. If not, I will hold my ground. Uh, but I will, f I will be a force of nature uh, to force the changes that we need in New York because we're, we're on the wrong track, and I think most people know that. You know, if you cut those taxes, it's great for people's pockets, but then you have less revenue to work with for the state budget in March. So. I think the other way. You think, how, how does that work? We need all the revenue. We've got plenty of revenue in this state. It is just, con you know, constantly being wasted, constantly being expanded, and, and we've got to get back to what worked and to the basics and do them well. Um, government doesn't need to do everything because there's a, a price tag to it and it never ends. It only gets more expensive, which means we keep going in that vicious cycle. How is it that a Florida has half the population, half the debt, half the budget, and people are flocking there and living a fine life with a very large senior population, with good health care, with a good education system? So nobody can tell me that you know other states that have less people less budgets and far less taxes aren't doing well. We're not here in New York. By any stretch of the imagination, we are at the bottom. So for you, that would look like a top-down approach of tightening the state's budget, looking for areas where maybe we're not spending efficiently. Not only that, I want to give relief to the, to the counties and to the villages and the towns where they too are taxing. It's all coming from one pocket or the other. And remember, when I was on a town board or when I was county executive, I had to deal with the Albany mandates all the time. Yeah. Every program, they would change the percentage of who has to give, meaning more from the local taxpayer, and the property taxes would have to go up. Now, we didn't do that in Westchester, but that all is significant, and it, you have to attack the problem. I'll, I did it, and I'll do it.
Another top issue on the table right now is guns after the shootings in yeah. Buffalo and Uvalde. As you and I both know, the state has now passed a series of new gun laws. I'm wondering where you are on that package. Is there anything in there that you think you could support? Well, let's start with raising the age to 21. That has already been found to be unconstitutional. The Ninth District in uh, out of San Francisco, uh, the federal courts have ruled that that was unconstitutional. So it will likely be unconstitutional here, and they knew that. The, the red flag laws failed here. Not that we can't have them, I, I think we should, but it, it failed in this instance. It failed in Florida. Um, I do think with background checks, we should add mental health. Mm -hmm. If there is someone's file that they were a threat or you know, a, a real issue with mental health, that should be in there. But there also needs to be a balance because there are unintended consequences. People who do need mental health may not get the services that they require because they don't want to be stigmatized or they don't want their rights taken away. Good luck getting on um, off a list if you're put on it, like the no-fly list. So I think there needs to be a balance and there needs to be due process and an appeal. You know, you, you can't just send the police, take your guns and say that's that. There, there needs to be a process. Um, but I do think we have so many laws and they're being ignored. Gun charges are the first to be dropped and there is a gun crisis on our streets, especially in our cities. The cops go in there, they arrest somebody, a career criminal, and they drop the gun charges right away. How about keeping those gun charges, federally crime, federal crimes too if we can, and put them away? You know, go after the thugs in our cities with the drug crisis, the gang crisis, the repeat offenders. We know where the, where the vast majority of gun crimes are, and yet we're defunding and defaming the police and taking away the tools that they have. So we've got to go after the real issues here. This other stuff, a lot of it is, you know, do something. Well, everything we've done that they promised would work hasn't worked. So I, I really want to attack the problem in a different way because what we've been doing has not worked. Do you think that there's an area where we can expand mental health services? I know we were talking Definitely. about the state budget. Is that yeah. an area that you would want to invest more deeply in than yes. it has right now? Yes, and we did it in Westchester. Um, mental health, we, we saw then, and it's gotten worse through the pandemic, especially with our kids. Um, depression, anxiety, suicides, drug use. Um, this has exploded, and we are completely ignoring it at our own risk. And anyone with a mental health issue should be able to get help. But in this state, we have done different priorities and we've cut the number of beds, we've cut psychiatric institutions and hospitals, uh, services for mental health. That has got to be readily available. And look, we've had to deal with this in our own family with people who are suffering from mental illness. And to get through the system, and most insurances don't cover it, so now people, especially if you don't have the means, you're, you're going to go bankrupt or you're just not going to get the help that somebody needs because it's extraordinarily expensive and there, there's just not available resources. Last question for you. You mentioned it before, but you have known Andrea Stewart-Cousins, yeah. the Senate Majority Leader, for a long time. If you are elected, as you said, you may be working with a Democratic legislature. How do you see your governing style with that? How do you work with them? Same as I did in Westchester, you know, first day I got in there, uh, I said, let's get together. Here's my priorities. Here's what I want on. Uh, I put the stakes in the ground on spending and taxes. I said, it's a really big budget, so let's figure out in there your priorities, my priorities, and how we can 
you know, meet in the middle if we have to. And, um, and we were able to do it. But there were times where we clearly clashed. And, um, and you know, I had to veto. Uh, I, the first two years, they had a supermajority, and I had to do, I think it was 300 vetoes. Oh, wow. But I was going to control spending, come hell or high water. I was not going to raise taxes no matter what they wanted. And, you know, we, we ended up picking up some seats, but we negotiated. And, um, and to me, my word is really important. So if I say to them, I'm going to agree, agree to this, I expect you to be trustworthy as well. And, and that's how we can move forward. Um, and uh, there's not a lot of that left these days in politics. No, there is not. You're right. But we're out of time. Rob Astorino, a candidate Let's for governor. Again. <laughs> exactly. Again. Thank you so much. Okay, Dan, thank you. And you can catch our interviews with the other candidates in that primary on our website. Again, that's at nynow.org. In the meantime, the three Democrats running for lieutenant governor faced off in their own debate this week as well. Those are newly appointed Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado, former New York City Council member Diana Reyna, and progressive advocate Ana Maria Archila. And the debate had some tense moments. Uh, Ana Maria continues to point the finger at what is special interest, but she has a special interest. Working families has endorsed her. Should Governor Hochul sign the bill? I think she should give it some serious thought, for well, sure. Well, I mean, it's, it's on her desk. She's. I know, and I think she's in the process now of giving it some serious thought. My two opponents do not have the experience of actually being the people who are trying to make Albany work for working families. Now, the last person you heard there is Archila. She's a progressive activist who spent years organizing for causes like protections for tenants and immigrants' rights. Archila joined us this week with more on her campaign and her vision for the LG's office. Ana Maria, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dan, for inviting me. Of course, anytime. So you are new to our audience. I want to give you a chance to explain who you are. Give me some sense of what your background and your experience is. Yes, so I, my name is Ana Maria Archila. I'm a candidate for lieutenant governor. I am a mother. I am an immigrant. I am a queer Latina. I came to this country when I was 17 years old, and it was in New York that I found a place that welcomed me and allowed me to feel at home again. It was also in New York where I found the safety to be queer uh, and to uh, love who I love. And it's in New York where I spent the last 20 years um, building organizations that are rooted in working class communities and immigrant communities and organizations that are dedicated to um, raising the voices of people who are often uh, forgotten by our government and making sure that tenants and workers and young people and parents um, are respected in our democracy, are taken seriously. And now I'm running for lieutenant governor to make sure that um, the state government actually prioritizes the needs of working families uh, above the whims and the demands of the real estate industry and billionaires. Um, New Yorkers are facing really tremendous crisis in the cost of rent, the cost of food and gas, utilities, and our state government could do so much if it chose to actually alleviate the pressures that people are facing instead of always accepting the demands of the real estate industry and billionaires like the owner of the Buffalo Bills. So let's talk about that. How do you, how do you, what do you do with that? I guess the big overarching issue for New Yorkers is that it costs too much to live here. Things cost too much. Rent costs too much. It's just unsustainable for a lot of people. What do you do about that if you are elected as lieutenant governor? Well, New York is one of the richest states in the country. 
Um, so our problem is not that we lack resources. Our problem is that we choose to not use the levers of government to address the needs that people are facing. We are simply allowing billionaires to make demands, like say, I want a stadium in Buffalo right now, and to ask taxpayers to pay for it. Um, we could, instead of giving $850 million to a stadium in Buffalo, we could put $850 million for access to food, access to affordable housing, uh, support for small businesses in the city of Buffalo, where 50% of the children live in poverty. So you ask me what I would do, I would insist that as Lieutenant Governor, I would not be quietly just smiling in the pictures in the background. I would be lifting up my voice every single day to say, we need to tackle the housing affordability crisis. We need to put in place protections for tenants from evictions. We need to put in place rents so that landlords cannot raise the rents in disproportionate ways. We need to put in place, um, uh, actually use the, re the public funds that we give to corporations to the building of permanently affordable housing. These are just three things that the state of New York could do that would make a huge difference in the lives of New Yorkers. And the governor chose not to do them in her first budget and her first legislative season. Her lieutenant governor said nothing. They were just quiet, smiling in the background. Um, and that is an unacceptable way of governing in a moment when people are suffering. It's an interesting role of the lieutenant governor. We've had past lieutenant governors, like as you said, who really uh, take themselves into the background and don't become active on a lot of issues and kind of just wait on the sidelines. So you don't see yourself as being that kind of lieutenant governor, I'm assuming. How would you see yourself in that office if you disagreed with whoever was governor or whoever's in the legislature? So the lieutenant governors have traditionally been uh, uh, the that role has been embodied as a representative of the governor in ribbon cutting ceremonies. Um, and I think that's a misunderstanding of the office. First, because it's not an appointed office. It is an office that's directly elected by the people and therefore its mandate and its power derives from the people, not from the governor. So I think Lieutenant governors should not stay quiet when the governor makes a decision like sending uh, patients who are positive with COVID back into nursing homes. That decision by Governor Cuomo resulted in the deaths of thousands of New Yorkers. And the Lieutenant Governor said nothing. The Lieutenant Governor should speak up every single day and lift up the, the priorities of people whose voices get drowned out in Albany by the industries that dominate the conversation with their lobbyists and with their donations to campaigns the real estate industry, the private healthcare industry, the agricultural industry, crypto billionaires, they buy influence by donating he heavily to campaigns. And then they, during budget season and legislative season, season, their priorities are at the top of the list and everybody else's get voices get drowned out. And that is not, we don't have to accept that. We simply don't have to accept that. And the Lieutenant Governor should be an ally to people who need Albany to deliver for working families. And the Lieutenant Governor could be also a partner to the Governor in actually driving an agenda that addresses the needs um, of New Yorkers all up and down the state. 
I want to ask you about an issue that you touched on. It's cryptocurrency. So there's a bill that the governor is considering that the legislature passed that would put a two-year moratorium on something called crypto mining. It's basically getting Bitcoin by operating computers, and it uses a lot of energy, which has brought up a lot of environmental concerns. So I know that you are, uh, I want to clarify your position on that. So you are in support of that bill. Do you think it goes far enough? The bill is a very modest bill that says, let's just put a moratorium on crypto mining um, so that we can study the, the environmental impact and understand, um, you know, make like a more concerted decision about how to relate to this emerging industry. I met with people in the Finger Lakes region uh, who are uh, directly impacted by crypto mining because some of the power plants, the fossil fuel power plants in that region have been reactivated because at the request essentially of the crypto mining industry and they're polluting the air, polluting the water, creating a lot of sound pollution as well in one of the most beautiful regions of the state of New York. So the governor's choice to simply delay the signing of the moratorium, which is a modest piece of legislation, um, is actually an indication that she's not willing to act with urgency to tackle climate. And it's also an indication that she's listening to the donors that gave her $100,000 to her campaign and the donors of her lieutenant governor who poured $1 million in an independent expenditure to uh, essentially advertise on behalf of Antonio Delgado. You started asking me, do I support the bill? I support the bill. I also think that we need to take bold action on all the different fronts of climate change. And the governor, for example, refused to um, do the uh, support the renewable uh, power legislation that would have gotten us on a path to um, build renewable sources of energy for the state of New York, which is primarily powered by fossil fuels. And it would also um, get us on a path to control the utilities so that we're not at the mercy of utility companies that keep hiking up the cost of electricity, uh, because that's what they do. It is for profit. And we could actually control it and make it more democratically um, sort of responsive to people. All right, Ana Maria Archila, a Democrat on the ballot running for lieutenant governor in the June 28th primary. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dan, so much. And just another reminder that this year's primary election is scheduled for Tuesday, June 28th. We're back next week with more ahead of that election. We'll see you then. Thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well.